Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh, serve fast, serve friendly, lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs Chow House. Episode 89 will take you behind the scenes of the UK Radio Network with Mike Dodson. Mike was the longtime producer for the UK Radio Network and had the responsibility of the Wildcats getting on the air, but as you will find out, there's much more to it than flipping a switch. Growing up in Lexington, Mike was always around the UK program, either as a fan or his dad being a member of the Committee of 101, and always knew he wanted to work in sports and radio. As a student at UK, Mike worked for the campus radio station, broadcasting games with another guest of Oscars, Brooks Downing. Mike's career path led him to work for Jim Host, and we'll hear about how he got his start with Mr. Host, and how he eventually ended up having one of the best seats in the house for UK basketball games. Mike and Oscar will discuss the memories of March and the drama surrounding Selection Sunday, and how Mike would become the original bracketologist courtside. Behind the scenes, to make it all work, there's travel, cords, cables, and microphones, but there's also the mentality of the producer to pull it all together. And Mike will share his thoughts on how to handle a radio broadcast as a producer. Finally, Oscar and Mike will finish up discussing the last six Kentucky football coaches, starting with Bill Curry. I'm Bo Robinson, and the technology may change, but one thing that will not go away is the cats on the radio. It's a long-standing tradition of the Big Blue Nation and one of the individuals that powered the cats on the air, Mike Dotson. He's also been a great friend to Oscar and I for many years and a great mentor to me as well. If you're going to learn how to produce sports radio, you learn from the best. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs Chow House, and his guest, Mike Dotson. Mike, when when you first become a Kentucky basketball fan, Kentucky football fan? Well, I mean, that's, you know, I grew up in the city of Lexington, so I've been here my entire life. Um, you know, that's one of those things that, I mean, I've when I was little, I mean, I don't ever remember not being a Kentucky fan. Can you remember your first game? Um, you How know, I, you? I, 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 I want to say I was probably, you know, maybe seven or eight years old. Um going over and watching them um, then. But I, I I would say this much. I I never saw them play in Stall Field. Now, I went to see fireworks over there when I was little, mm-hmm. uh, but never saw them play there. In Kentucky basketball, uh, we didn't have season tickets growing up as a family or anything like that. So the the old UKITs were always an abil- ability for us to get tickets. My dad would get them through the bank he worked at and uh, would always get a couple games there. So uh, that's really – you know, my first memories, but, you know, just like any, any kid growing up in Lexington, that's a sports fan, uh, you know, a, a lot of the games were something I enjoyed a lot. So I met your dad first. Uh, he was handling the media entrance yeah. at Rupp Arena as a member of the committee of 101. Yeah, he, he, uh, I had a neighbor that was in the 101 and they encouraged my dad to get into that. And, um, 
you know, it was good for me because I was probably a teenager then at that point in time. And as a, a member of the one on one, you got one ticket. Now, you know, you can't take many people for that. But uh, so dad would get there early. Let's say it's a seven o'clock game. You didn't have the nine o'clock games back then, but um, it was like a seven o'clock game. He had to be there maybe four thirty, five o'clock. I'd go down with him, hang around in the Hyatt, just mill around there and go in and then just sit basically by myself. Um, you know, interrupt arena and watch the games. Um, I didn't didn't really go to a lot of football back then, um, but as I got a little older in middle school and stuff like that, we'd have some friends that would uh, that we'd go down and you know, it's never a t- hard time getting a ticket one way or the other. You could just act like you were, you know, uh, it, well, it didn't act. I mean, we we didn't have tickets, and you could stand out there, and you know, people would feel sorry for you because you didn't have a ticket, and they'd see, you and hey, you want to get in, and that's how kind of we got into games. We just kind of hung out and waited for somebody to, you know, either sell us a cheap ticket or give us one, and that happened a lot. Who's your first Kentucky hero? Uh, wow. Um, I would say Kyle Macy, but I'm I'm sure he's not old enough for that. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, you know, when Kyle was playing, he probably doesn't like me saying this, but I was probably, you know, a teenager then 14, 15 years old. And, um, you know, so, so yeah, I mean, you know, playing basketball and stuff like that. But, um, I can remember, you know, the, the, the evenings listening to Kaywin and Ralph on the radio, not much TV back then, Oscar, as you can remember. Um, I always love Kaywood's openings, getting ready for the tip. The cats are going to be moving from left to right on your radio dial. Right. And um, I had a – I've actually still got it at home. I actually had this transistor radio. It wasn't very big. And um, I would listen to the games on that as I was going to bed. And if I hear, if I heard my mom and dad coming up the steps, I'd turn it off and then turn it back on when I knew they went to the bed or went to the bathroom or something like that. But, you know, I can remember Stamper, Lions – um, uh, you know, kind of that team, that group in that point in time, Casey. I mean, unfortunately, I don't remember, I mean, Issel Pratt, that group much, but I remember Casey just because, you know, he had that injury year where he came the following year because he had, he'd been hurt. So, well, looking back at that, you go to Lafayette High School, correct? Ever an athlete there? Because I know one no. of your real loves is baseball. Yeah, I mean that was more on the coaching end uh, and coaching youth baseball here in town, which I enjoyed a lot. Um, no, I mean I, uh, I quickly realized I wasn't good enough to participate, you know, and and go on and and do anything, um, you know, that would that would put me in in the seats that I ended up in as a you know as a player or anything like that. So look for other paths. But I, I had a lot of interest in sports. Whatever was in season I was playing, whether it was basketball, whether it was football, you know, whether it was, um, you know, baseball and stuff like that, I always enjoyed that. So, you know, o- o- big-time sports enthusiast. So. so so you get through Lafayette High School and you go to University of Kentucky. Right. At, at what point in time did suddenly radio – come into your life well i mean it's kind of going back to the story i just told about being little and and listening to the games on the radio you know as i was going to bed you know um always i i, I you know kentucky would be would be fighting for the for a uh you know a conference championship with tennessee in the ernie and bernie days and i used to pick up a station and i'm not sure where it was but you know 
the Dan Fettermans and stuff like that and hearing John Ward say bottom on the shots and, you know, hoping they would lose because Kentucky was always neck and neck with them in the conference race. So, you know, I would that find – That was the team you wanted. You were always for Kentucky and whoever was playing Tennessee. Ab- absolutely, because that was going to impact a lot of times where Kentucky factored into the into the race and winning the league. And, and back then, the league was important. And sometimes you only got one team in the tournament. Right. And then so, it was two. So, you, yeah, and – and um, that you know you had to win the league, so basically listening, hoping that they were you know going to get beat. So you know there was a connection there. Um, uh, but uh, you know, and back at those point in times for for me, there was really never any other place I was going to go. And, I, rem- I remember in '77, the first year of Rupp Arena, Kentucky was forced to go play Carolina in the East Regional because they tied Tennessee for the league championship in '77. And Tennessee swept the series, and because of that, they got to stay in the Mid East, where the regional finals was at Rupp, and Kentucky right. had to go to College Park, where they eventually lost to North Carolina. So it was very, very tough to get into the tournament then. Well, then it was like what sixteen teams? Was it 16 yes, sixteen? Sixteen or twenty-four? Yeah, I mean, there, it wasn't much. I don't know if they'd expanded to thirty-two at that point in time yet or not, but. Um... So anyhow, there was a lot of interest. Young, I don't know. I, I I can't really tell you tell you why I did, but I just did. I mean, I you know, and and it was it was basketball. Let's face it. I mean, in football, in that point in time during those things, besides the really good team in 70, 76, 77, uh, which was great. I mean, there just wasn't a lot of success during that time, you know, to really latch on to. So you know, basketball was enjoyed playing and enjoyed listening to it. You you get at UK and you bump into a fellow in sort of uh, ways that continues all the way up to today. One of your lifelong friends, uh, Brooks Downing, right? And uh, as Brooks was telling me that uh, the two of you ended up doing some broadcasting over right. the campus radio station. Tell well, me about it. Well, I mean, so having that interest in that, even though I was a business major, uh, and having interest in that. Um, you know, there was something, I think, in the kernel uh, that was about, you know, if anybody's interested in doing games. Um, so I basically responded to that and went over and met with a fellow named Don Wheeler, which was um, I, the station used to be BKY, now it's UKY, um, and talked to him about, you know, being involved and and um, was able to do that. And um, I heard you first, you and, and Brooks both, uh, sort of applied for the same situation, right. and it was for stats to begin with. Right, exactly. And then it went up to broadcast. Well, then we, he was my radio partner. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the first year we did it, it was like stats, you know, spot or whatever. And then, you know, as kind of the upperclassmen had those roles as play-by-player or the analyst or whatever. And then and then uh, as, as, you know, we – got on in our years in college uh you know then we assume that role so yeah brooks was telling me and i skewed the question as it was described to me he said you get your passes to go over there and he right. says he gets on the elevator at commonwealth stadium if i remember, remember correctly right and he said he goes up and when it opens he looks like what have i walked into here yeah and well, he said then you walk into the radio booth that is for the campus radio station, and you're suddenly, oh my God, there's Kaywood, there's Ralph. 
Well, exactly. I mean, they're in the booth right next to you. And, of course, they're probably going, who are these guys, these kids over here? But they were always very kind to us um, that we didn't, you know, impose on them in, many, in any way or, intimi- you know, or, you know, you're a little bit of intimidation to who they are and whatever, especially after you had, had grown up listening to them for so long. Uh, but, yeah, in the Commonwealth Stadium, our our booth was right beside those guys. And um, – uh, what a lot of people didn't know is we weren't on the air a whole lot. Uh, a lot of times it was just doing it for, for practice, um, and then you know. But there would be some that we would put on the air, which I don't know who was maybe listening, except for maybe our family and a few friends or whatever. I'm not sure anybody ever, ever listened to the broadcast. I'd love to have a tape of those days, but <laughs> I, I I I would say and see how bad it really was. But um, I'm sure those are long gone. Lead me from there to joining. Jim host his company well again that kind of goes back to the passion of of it and following it and um you know when you listen to the broadcast you always heard host communications host communications and that stuff and going back to what I had the story I had relayed about Don Wheeler um he, he said that they were looking for an internship actually somebody uh that would help them with their Keeneland feature race of the day that was out of Keeneland because at that point in time um Host Communications had a very robust statewide network uh, for the Keeneland feature Keeneland feature race of the day that was every day at 4.30. They come on the air 4.35. Now it's all changed up now with simulcasting TV and different things like that. So that's where it kind of started. I, re- I replied to that, went over and met with the people over at Host Communications, and they hired me. Um, that was when I was a college student. Um, you know, probably my second or third year there in school to help them out on the on the Keeneland feature race of the day. I mean, I, I was trying to get my foot in the door any way I could. I did that. I'd always schedule my classes in September and October that would enable me to do that. I also, um, there were other things that would come up. I sold uh, print ads to the to the NCAA wrestling championship program that they did because at that point in time, host communications. Who would buy that? Well, I mean, you know, I was calling like Rydell, who maybe had wrestling helmets or something, you know, that the that they used in that and. There was this. There was a thing, and a lot of people won't remember this, but a drugstore here in town called Begley's, and they oh, had yes, a, there's a chain drugstore, right? Exactly, uh, headquartered in Richmond, and, and and they had a Begley showcase they did down at down at uh, down at Rupp Arena and or in the convention center. I sold, tried to sell boost to that. I mean, I was doing anything and everything I could to to get hired there when I was a college student. I mean, I was, you know, I was, I was around there before they ever hired me full time, but that's just kind of where I knew I wanted to work. I knew I wanted to get into the sports side of it. So you wanted to be in broadcasting, but not necessarily voice on. No, I, you know, I always felt like I, I, I probably wasn't competent, confident enough in my talent. And, um, I felt like, you know, you can, I mean, you know, Oscar, you can be just as big a part of it as is, is, is that. I mean, it's not the competition side of it and things like that that, um, you know, you get as an athlete or, or um, you know, I guess being on the air and things like that that, you know, all people that are on the air have some somewhat of an ego, and that's okay. Um, I think you got to have that in that business, but it that just didn't fit my kind of uh, my style, and um, I kind of wanted to take a path like that to be really kind of – involved with setting things up and behind the scenes and you know enjoyed that that thought of doing that you were joining a company that was really just starting to hit its yeah. peak 
yeah. uh, in dealing with the NCAA. And, they, and there were three major individuals involved with host communication at that time, Jim Host, Ralph Gabbard, huh? and Ralph Hacker. Uh, suddenly you had inside, and you were becoming a very vital uh, part in that operation because you were going nationwide as well as just UK. Yeah, I mean there was a there was a a really big swagger for uh, that host communications had in those days. I mean there was nobody really doing it like that um, with the multimedia rights with schools and and the schools that that they had rights to. Um, you know, Jim Host was ahead of that, um, and then also Ralph. Hacker and Ralph Gabbard, such smart businessmen, and um, just some of the ideas and things they created and partnerships that were part of that UK stuff, and and um, you know those guys really defined uh, in their vision and stuff what you know what the UK sports broadcasts really are today. I mean they were the you know they were the founders of that. So was it difficult to spread yourself? as wide as you did with your heart on UK and doing the UK stuff. But then suddenly you were doing stuff with the NCAA tournament each year. You were involved with the NCAA radio network. Right. Uh, talent, as well as uh, just putting the whole thing together. Uh, tell, tell me a little bit about what happened each, Mark. I know over the years when we were together on the, the, the network and uh, we would start talking about seeds, usually yeah. about the 1st of January. But by the time we got to the end of February, you had pretty good handle on this. Going to be a three seed at Lake Tahoe yeah, I, or wherever. I, I, that was kind of a that was kind of a you know just something I took a lot of interest in. I was in my own bracketologist, so to speak. But there was a reason for that, and the reason being is that we had to send out information to all the teams that made the tournament their broadcast rights agreement that that we had because host not only had the rights to a lot of different schools around the country, but he also had the rights to the NCAA tournament and broadcasting that. So we had to send out stuff. So you're trying to guess, you know, not only educated guests, but ones that you can tell who are going to get in because it was important to kind of know that because we would want to get them the information ahead of time. So they would get their contracts and their, you know, other stuff, important information they needed to broadcast. So, you know, I was kind of handicapping that because um, I wanted to get those in the, in the hands of, of those radio groups, uh, uh, you know, ahead of time. Each each Sunday on Selection Sunday, where it be 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock, yeah. everybody's glued to the TV set, and they've got these uh, venues set up at different right. places. Uh, going in on a team, maybe Gonzaga, we're not expecting to be a, a big seed or something, and shows everybody excited. And no one knew during those times that, there was there was some there people was, didn't know. There was a few people <laughs> that had advanced so, knowledge, right. Because they had to put things together in a short amount of time. Like maybe host communications had that bracket maybe an hour before it was released, uh, or more. Or uh, uh, the the one, the reason that was not you know host had all the radio stuff, but he also had the print programs. So at that point in time, the technology wasn't there then that it is now. So it was very important that not only, you know, we wanted to have it for our radio show that we did every night on Selection Sunday called Selection Sunday of all names and, and um, where our radio crew could kind of look it over. But also we wanted to get that information to, to our printing and publishing division so they could start putting those game programs together. Because remember now, this is Sunday night. They've got to get them in these, 
venues by Thursday. And the technology, again, at that point in time, wasn't you know it it wasn't what it is now. I mean, there, you, if you had to get something, it was either fax or overnight or something. You know, you just couldn't send a file digitally like you can now, and you have everything. Um, so yeah, um, you know, we would find out ahead of time. That was always kind of neat. Um, you know, you were to Joe Lenardi before Joe Lenardi. I was, but you know, the also I, I, I got it, you know, a little bit before it ever came out. There's one interesting story too, of one year and I can probably tell this now and it, and it, yes. and a couple of years ago you had the, the Twitter fiasco where they started releasing the bracket before it came out and you know, which kind of i'm sure the tv entities didn't like that but um so we would get it and i saw it and um i happened to be um at the uh at the sec tournament and um was uh we kentucky had won the tournament that year and i can't remember who it was but rick patino was the head coach then and he had come over to do his post game show and you know we knew we didn't get a full bracket then, but we kind of knew. Okay, you're a you're a one seed here. This is who and you're this playing. This was more than just a couple hours before. Oh yes, most definitely. I mean, you know, the, if the if the game was at one, we're over at three. The show's not till six or six thirty or whatever. I mean, it's like it's his post game show at after three o'clock, and we're going. Here's where you are. Well, you know, he goes over and pulls his team together and tells them, you know, this is where we're at and all this stuff. And um, well, there's some media people that happen to be standing around there. So they're trying to figure out, you know, where he got it. Well, at that point in time, CM Newton's on the committee. And of course they're probably connecting, thinking he was the one that did it, but it was actually me. And I could have, should have kept my mouth shut. And at those point in time, at, at the point in time in those days, if Jim host would have, would have known, I would have said something, um, you know, I, I don't know that I would have gotten fired, but I sh- sure, w- I sure would have been called to the carpet. But uh, the next day I go to visit, Rick in his office, and um, I just had to tell him. Said, "Look, man, you know that's between us. If anybody ever asks you, you didn't get that from me. So I got you covered. So you know, anyhow. So you got a phone call early each year thereafter that Rick was in town. <laughs> well, you know, I would have uh, I would have some people coming over and asking me, and sometimes you know, depending on where we were. I mean, you you could be on a flight on the way back or something, mm-hmm. you, and you and you couldn't get it, but. Um, there went, you know, went for a while where we were still able to get it, but you know, now it's on lockdown kind of now, especially after last year and the Twitter thing happened and, or two years ago. Well, you know, it's ago. been happening six, seven years in a row with the NBA draft where this yeah. guy's tweeting it out yeah. three spots ahead of time. Like, yeah. how's he doing it? Well, obviously somebody's feed it to him. Well, I had heard a couple of years ago that one of the reasons why they leaked it early and they wanted to do it because, and they changed the format up last year, if you remember, but they didn't like the fact that I guess CBS or TBS or whoever did it that day, I think it was CBS, that they were taking like two hours or a whole hour to re- release the bracket. They used to do it quickly and then be done, but they were really stringing it out, and I don't think they liked that. So I think, you know, there was some, you know, so in the midst speculation. Of all, they tried to leak it early. In the midst of all this NCAA, your first chores early running the UK network, which at one time had something like over 150 stations. Right. I mean, it's totally different now, but there's been consolidation. The radio stations in the state have to pay a rights fee, um, you know, and financially for some radio stations, it's not, you know, it's just not economical for them anymore. Um, but yeah, at its day, I mean, we were in uh, over 70, 
75 to 80 markets in the state of Kentucky over with AMFM combos over 100 stations. Still a very robust network. You're not, I, I don't think there's any place you could go in the state of Kentucky that you couldn't hear it. Um, but it's not what it was. Two things for me, and, and I, I literally turned down the TV volume right today. I mean, they're, they're telling about everything but what I want to yeah. know about the game. If there's a 20-point uh, margin with uh, 10 minutes to go in the game, they got their talking points, which has yeah. nothing to do with the game. But going back to Kaywood and Claude, uh, then through Ralph and now Tom, they all give you something that paints a picture for you that you're actually not seeing on the TV too. Well, there's, there's just nothing like the hometown announcer and, and, and the, and the passion and, and all, and obviously, you know, the, the, the love they have for the school and the, and their desire to see them win, uh, you know, for the school they cover, you're not going to get that on the, on the TV side. Um, you know, and the passion that they have for the school, I, you know, that's the the hardest, the thing that makes it bad about that now is, you know, a lot of people would, you know, you always heard, turn down the sound, listen to Kaywood. Um, and then, and then that followed with Ralph too. The problem now is because people consume it in so many different ways, whether it's on their phone, whether it's, um, you know, through satellite delays that happen on cable and things like that, that you can't match it up. I mean, it was, you wondered how, how did Kaywood know that shot went in before <laughs> there was, cause there was a split second before the TV signal got to you that the radio was ahead. How did Ralph know he was going to throw that away in the corner? Uh, you know, that he was going to turn that over. It's it just things like that, that, you know, you didn't, that you couldn't, you know, that's just different now. And I think it's frustrating. I think it's hurt because you can't turn down the sound and listen to the radio. You can, but you know, you're the radio stuff's going to happen a lot, a lot, uh, further ahead of the TV. Now Kentucky basketball in particular and football to, to a certain extent, uh, has had television most every game for sure. a lot longer than most schools has, but there was a time not that long ago where as many as, eight to 12 games a year uh, were alive only on radio, and then they were tape delayed to 11.30 at night. Right. And uh, uh, how, how much luster has that taken away from Because, I mean, growing up, you know, I would list game. Well, I think we got Monday night games from the SEC, Kentucky games. Right. Monday night. And uh, sometimes my mom and dad would let me stay up to 11.30, and sometimes they didn't. Unfortunately, back then we didn't have DVR. Right. We didn't even have tape. I think I think the tape stuff come along in I think around eighty eighty one, something like that. So if you didn't watch it eleven thirty, you didn't watch it. Yeah, and and you know the interesting thing about that is some people, you know you you probably know this they you'd run into somebody don't tell me about the game don't tell me what happened I'm going to watch at eleven thirty tonight they didn't want to know some people might you know they totally try to zone out not not you know not hear about what happened. And, and also, they they didn't, you know, uh, they might take a nap or something like that earlier in the day so they know they could stay up and watch it. And, and you know, they're going, they're watching 1130 and they have no clue what happened. And, and at 11 o'clock, on 11 o'clock, particularly yes. on 27. Yes. They would say, turn away. Folks, turn away. Yeah. Turn your volume down. We're going to talk about the game. Yeah, turn away. Exactly. Give us two minutes. Yeah. And then come back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember that too. Yeah. Uh, let, let's go back to when you went in. Uh, with Jim Host and Ralph Gabbard and Ralph Hacker, and you started working there, and you started 
traveling with a team. You you first uh, started the year after Kaywood, right? I mean, traveling full time with football and basketball was in ninety two, ninety three. Was the first year after uh, Kaywood had retired, and then also Tom Devine, who was their engineer, producer, technical director at that point. You know that he went out with Kaywood too, and then and then you know it was basically. Uh, Ralph and and Jim Host that came to me about um, you know Ralph was taking over his play by play about you know being you know doing that filling that role. Well, I'm 20 something years old. I get to travel with the team. I mean, you know, when I talked about growing up and a fan, I mean, I'm not playing. I'm not coaching. I'm not on. I'm not on the air. But this is about as close as you can get. So you know, um, it's pretty neat. Where were you? Cool. The night Kaywood called his final game. Uh, well, that would be the Duke game. Yes. No. Uh, but also, what a lot of people don't. What I would correct you on one thing: there, Kaywood called his final Kentucky he did. game. Yes, final okay? Kentucky game. Because we had the tournament, and Kaywood called great. his. He called his final game at the NCAA tournament championship against Duke and Michigan. I believe it was that year, maybe in 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 ninety two. Um, I was at the studio at WVOK Radio here in Lexington. We thought they were going to the Final Four because after Sean Woods had hit the shot, and um, we were actually kind of talking down the line to Tom Devine and going, "Hey, you're going to Seattle," and you know, just kind of gigging him a little bit because, um, uh, you know, just having some fun with him. And then, and then, you know, obviously Leitner hits the shot. I mean, we was stunned. Tom Leach was in there who did our scoreboard show at that point in time. A couple other guys were board ops, and uh, I. It was really weird. We just kind of sat and we just kind of sat in stunned silence. Um, you know, for it was hard to believe what had just happened. You go from the, the emotions that were so high to so low, just so quick. Did you start doing football and basketball at the same time? No, I well, I did in that role, but I actually traveled with Kentucky as a producer for football with Kaywood and Ralph um, a couple years before that. But let's face it. Those guys had been doing it how many years? Okay, um, I you know I was there to to you know go get them a stat sheet. I was the producer or go Tom Devine was engineering. Go get a go get the stat sheet. Go get them a cup of coffee. Go get them some cookies in the press box or something like that. And you know that was my role. But but you know and their driver. So your first game. At running the controls, mm-hmm. the first game you was responsible for right. getting them on the air. You have butterflies? Uh, yeah, because you want to get it right, you know, uh, uh, and you've never done it before. I mean, I was confident because, I, I, Oscar, I never went into I I never went into a broadcast where I felt like I wasn't prepared. Um, so I was, you know, I was confident I knew what I was doing, but you just wanted to get it right. But you know, and guys like Ralph and guys like Jim Host, Ralph Hacker, I mean, there and. You know, the, the thing that I always learned from them on the radio side is, you know, there were the expectation and you strive for every broadcast to be perfect. I mean, that was just kind of the way you the way you worked. And, um, you know, you come away from you, you, you come away from a broadcast and, it, it, you know, the listener may not know what it was. But from our standpoint, if there's a couple of things like, ah, you know, I. I didn't have his mic up when he went on the air there. I mean, that kind of stuff bothered you, but it was just what you learned from them about, and Kaywood too, uh, you know, all those guys about the broadcast being So perfect. you sort of grade yourself if each and every broadcast when you get through. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like you know, it, it's like man, I you know, I didn't do a very good job today or something like that. So yeah, I, I, I'm not asking you to the tattle on the industry or anything, but do you see some of that as being lost art today? Oh, there's no question. Um, you know, uh, first of all, there's the, the passion for it um, is different now for some people. Um, and then the other thing that I would say is that, um, you know, that maybe they've not learned, um, you know, it, it, they kind of slough off a mistake or whatever. And those, those always, you know, bothered me and, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's different now. I mean, it's like, ah, oh, well, you know, it was on the air, but you know, we wanted it on the air and be in, and sound the best and be the best it could be. Do you have one particular broadcast after all these years that you were most proud of when it was over with? Forget about who won or lost game. Like, fellas, we got it right, and it was a big event. Hmm. That's a great question. Um, I can't think of any one in particular. I'd have to give that a lot of thought. But uh, the one thing that I would say in all – we might have been off for you know uh, a few seconds or something like that but that and one of the things that I always took pride in that during the time that I was involved in it um, that we never lost a broadcast and I think that's you know in today's day and time um, you know people might slough that off a little bit more I mean you know you wanted to service the the listeners and the fans out there. So, but no, I, I, you know, that's a great, that's a great question. I, you know, I don't know, you know, I, the football's the hardest though. I mean, the basketball, there's not near the involvement. I mean, you're talking about in football, there's the wireless, there's locker room stuff and things like that, but football's the hardest, the hardest. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people that have to help put that together too. You've always been known at least in circles around, UK and Lexington is maybe the, the the coolest guy of the whole crew that nothing ever rattled you, that you could be 15 seconds away from broadcast and something not going right and you just be easy going and you always got it on. The thing there is I never felt like, uh, I even if there was an inside panic in me, I never felt like that was going to help the room or – the the broadcast booth or site wherever we were i never felt like that was ever going to help us get off first of all get on the air and whatever we needed to do or have the you know i I never wanted talent to feel tight i'm working on it you do your thing we'll get it right i mean i just i i always i've always felt like that was counterproductive to yell and scream and to you know, th- throw your arms in the air and all that kind of stuff. I just, first of all, it's not my style. Second of all, I just never felt like that was going to, I think a calmer uh, uh, hand is really going to be better in those situations than, than that. So, no, I mean, inside, you know, I may have been worried to death, but I wasn't going to ever. You weren't uh, going to panic anybody else by you. No, I mean, I'll, you know, we'll, we'll get it taken care of. I mean, and if somebody made a mistake, you know, it's like, hey, what happened? You know, okay, let's you know, let's not let it happen again, and and know what you did wrong, and and we'll move on. But no, I, you know, I, I, and the other thing too, Oscar, for this stuff, and I've always thought is, I mean, you know, for you, 
you know, you taking time away from your family on nights and weekends and, and things like that, it ought to be fun. Okay. And, um, what, what we got to do, the places we got to go, the games we got to see, how many people would love to have been in that role? I, I mean, you want to have fun with it. And, and, um, that's the other thing too, is I, Let's all, let's have fun. Let's let's laugh. Let's let's do a good broadcast. But let's let's have fun with it. Let's toss to three or four names here of people you dealt with. That was very important. You only got to play, generally speaking, half the games at home, right? And generally, the other half is on the road, either a true road game or a neutral game. Uh, some of the people in the SEC back then that you dealt with at these other schools. Uh, was, was people at Tennessee, Alabama, how cooperative they were they with you in helping you with issues that maybe you had no control over because they're hooking up to Cable in um, Thompson Bowling Arena or Stokely Athletic Center or Coleman Coliseum? Well, I, w- I would say, you know, from that standpoint, Oscar, that, that all, all the schools cooperated with each other we all wanted each other to, you know, to have a good broadcast. And you didn't want anybody to get left high and dry. And if they were having trouble getting on the air, I mean, you would always assist the other one. So it, it, anywhere in the league, I always felt comfortable that if there was an issue and talking to the, you know, to the other radio group or whatever, it was, you know, we, we all worked together. We all cared for each other. I, I mean, just to, you know, I can remember one time at Auburn, or not at Auburn, but in Memphis, Tennessee, um, there was an Auburn engineer that pulled up to the at the SEC tournament there uh, when it was in the pyramid back then, and he pulled up and and said, um, uh, "Hey, uh, can you park my car?" And the guy was the was the uh, supposedly was the uh, valet parking guy. Okay, so he you know he gives him his keys, goes in, checks in, comes back out, and. He's looking around and he's asking, you know, well, where's my car? And they're like, what are you talking about? I mean, did you pull up and check in? Yeah, I don't know where it is. It's <laughs> like, what did I gave it to the valet? And they're like, sir, we don't have valet parking. <laughs> so somebody had had just pulled up, or when he pulled up, they said they were valet, took his keys and left. So all his radio equipment's in there. So the you know this is a thing where everybody pulls together. So the Auburn guy is now without radio stuff. And and everybody's trying to piece stuff together and and you know stuff like that. I had a piece of equipment go out on me right before a broadcast on a on a Saturday morning before an SEC semifinal of the tournament. And and he's still the engineer there now. His name's Tim Barry. I took it back to his hotel room and soldered and all that kind of stuff and got it working. Comes racing in like right before we went on the air. So we were all there to help each other. Let's go to a typical road game, say, in football. Mm-hmm. And you start out, you usually go into that city the day before the game on a Friday. Uh, take me through what you would do to get set up for that game, starting from the moment you left Lexington, where it be noon, 1 o'clock on Friday. Well, uh, um, you know, it depends. If it's a, You'd love to be able to get in on Friday in the stadium to be able to set up, just to have that out of the way. Uh, but it wasn't always possible. Because, um, you know, especially if you travel with the team, they might not be getting there in time to be able to do that. So you get there early enough, you know. So in, in, in that case, on a, on a Friday evening, you really, wouldn't, you really wouldn't do much except go to the hotel, check in. And then one of the things that was always great, and what I miss in not being involved in anymore is the people. And um, more than anything, 
uh, and the big games. But, um, you know, we'd all go to dinner on Friday night with the crew, which was always a lot of fun. We always had a blast with that. Always some good stories out of those two. Um, I wish we could repeat them all. Yeah, well, some of them you could. I mean, just the the, the karaoke night we had at, at Starkville, Mississippi, and and just some stuff like that. I mean, it was. But you're right. Um, but we, you know, it was it it you know that was a it was a great thing. And um, but then you get over at the stadium on Saturday and get set up, and you know, football broadcast is longer, is more involved, and. You know, you get there plenty of plenty of hours ahead of time to set up football broadcast. It's a long day. It's a it's a real long day, um, uh, but a rewarding day at the end of the day when you know you've put on a good broadcast. I would sense you uh, really really look forward for football road trips. Yeah, uh, just because um, we we all got you know all enjoyed being around each other. Um, there was really no egos there among the group and, um, uh, you know, it was just, and the other thing too, about football was, you know, the basketball thing, the expectations and stuff and winning and stuff. But football to me was always the places you played in, you know, the venues you went to, and then also the, you know, being able to win in some of those places and hopefully, you know, pulling off an upset, you know, that was kind of new and, um, you know, football was fun. It was a lot of fun. You, you get ready for the game. You have a pregame show. You have the coach's sort of pregame show that goes into right. the game. You have the game. You have your rap. You have your stars of the game. Then you have your coach's show. Uh, what was the most challenging part of that as far as pre-recording the coach and then getting the coach somewhat live or – you tape and then play it back. And the players, you ever have any major problems making that work? Uh, yeah, but we always had – there might have been some, whether you had an issue in the locker room, but we always had a backup. We could do it on the wireless or something uh, along those lines. A lot of it's just waiting on the coach, you know, in the postgame part of it. And the pregame stuff, there's really not a, a, a lot of problems there. The most thing you're, you're trying to do is your timing of it and getting, and getting, th- and getting things in that, you know – your format and and segments and things before before uh, kickoff. I mean, just making sure your timing is right. Um, but in the post game part of it, it's just you know getting the coach, getting the player, and um, you know those are always tough. I, I didn't I w- I didn't have to do the interviews, but they're always tough when you're off a loss. Um, and I give a lot of credit to those you know players and coaches that you know have had to. There's one story that I've heard a dozen times, and I'll tell it on Ralph uh, to start out, and you can correct me for okay. it. But uh, there, were, there was one instance where I think it was with Rick and had a bad game, lost it, and he decided he wasn't going to talk. And supposedly sent a manager out or something, and uh, uh, Ralph supposedly turned around and said, you can go back in, but he's not getting a check for this week. And he came out. Yeah, that's so, true. I, and, and the other thing too that that you know I get you know Ralph was the one too that you know and I and and I'm sure what a crushing loss when they lost in in '92 to Duke, um, and Rick didn't want to come out and do it then either. And um, you know somebody went back and said, you know, this is Kaywood's last show, and uh, that was Ralph, and um, and he came out. And uh, but I think I think that night the people needed to hear from him too. Um, is just as devastating as it was. 
they needed to they needed to hear from him and and uh it was the right call all the way around not only for ralph to go tell him but for him to come out probably the only time in history that uh Coach K was live on a post game yeah, radio I mean, show. I, don't, I mean, nobody knew that was coming. That was totally, um, you know, totally unsolicited. He did it all on his own. You know, K was trying to go through his final uh, so long to the UK fans, and uh, Shashevsky shows up. And you know, despite what anybody wants to say, that was a very class act by Coach K. So uh, let's let's get into some of the season you worked the ninety two ninety three season. Uh, you were working with uh, Bill Curry in football. Mm-hmm. Um, how was he to work with? Great. Um, very nice man. Class guy. Um, wish they could have won a little more. You hurt for people like that that, that, are, that, are so, that are so easy to work with that, you know, um, uh, you, you know it, just didn't, it just didn't happen, and unfortunately. But, you know, yeah, he was – you know, never a problem. And, you know, Ralph in the postgame shows, you know, a lot of people don't know. I mean, he would tell him in the break, hey, I think I need to ask you this stuff. And, and um, he, you know, he never backed off the tough questions if, if Ralph wanted to ask him in the postgame show. So, 93 season, they go to the Peach Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you remember most about that other than uh, how it ended? Um, you know, not a lot, you know, it was nice to be going to a bowl game. Um, that was the first bowl game for me, um, in doing this stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, disappointment at the end, but, um, not, not a lot. I mean, that's been so long ago and there was, you know, they didn't win. So unfortunately not a whole lot. Uh, the day that they announced that Bill Curry was coming to Kentucky back in 89, he was just 48 hours removed for playing, perhaps, for the national championship and uh, got the job at here. Did, did you ever dream at that point in time that he would be here the seven years he was here uh, and only have one bow? Well, I mean, I, I tell you, no. I, I thought he would – I you know, I thought when they made the hire that I thought, you know, that was, you know, going to play great, pay great dividends, but – no, but you know the one thing is, and why, and times are different now. But the the one reason why Bill Curry got the number of years that he got is because he treated people like people, and I think um, you know you want to see him do well, you want to see him succeed. That's why he probably you know stayed here a little longer. I mean, that would never happen now. Um, could but, he have, could he have stayed here longer? If he had dumped Elliot Uzelak, unfortunately, I'm not sure. Um, you know, but the changing of offensive coordinators all the time didn't help anything. And and then you had the Tim Couch factor. Yeah, and then you know, and then Tim Couch running the option or whatever. That's not you know, that's not going to happen there. But that hire obviously didn't pay any dividends for for Coach Curry. Next year, how Mummy comes in and. Going back to the several weeks, two or three months, when you knew that Bill was leaving because right. he was fired. And I think he won his next two or three games after he was fired midseason. Right. And uh, they end up with Hal Mummy. Were you surprised when you heard 
It was Hal Mummy from Valdosta. Yeah, I was. And the interesting thing, though, is uh, our, you know, when it, in that point in time, it's different now the way it's set up. But coaches got paid by, uh, you know, by the rights holder. All right, I'm in there working. That's the bulk of their pay. Too. Right, the bulk of their pay. I'm in the office on a Sunday afternoon, and and uh, obviously some of these things you can tell now that I couldn't, you know. I'm in the office on a Sunday afternoon, and come walks in the office as as C.M. Newton, Mike Shanahan, and Jim Host. Mike Shanahan. Mike Shanahan. The Denver Broncos. Correct. Uh, so I pick up the phone. I call Dick Gabriel and say, hey, man, uh, Mike Shanahan's here in our building. So he sends a shooter out there, and they happen to catch him coming out. But, you know, they were they were partners of ours, so give them a scoop. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I just I, – I, I, some of the people that he was swinging at and things like that. Um, Did you ever think yeah. Mike Godfrey was in the mix? I don't know. I mean, I went close enough to know at that point in time. But um, – uh, to that process i mean i just got that on a happenstance but no i i think the mummy uh, i mean i you know I, I i didn't think that would happen i mean i don't think he was on anybody's radar but um i i actually think you know you look at the way football's being played now and things like that that his thought process in that was you know he was on the right track um just made some mistakes on staff and uh just never could. It's nice to put the points in the in the in the yards and all that, but you know you got to stop he, somebody he just, too. He just wouldn't let that punter get on the field on fourth and twenty three <laughs> no, from the no. twenty. No, and you got like I say, you got to stop somebody too, and that mm-hmm. and they and they couldn't. So, you know, it's not it's more exciting you know, if it's sixty four forty one, but you just can't give, be giving up sixty four points. And you know, there was one where when I brought up the thing of you know the way you treat people and things like that. There was a lot of success for, for Hal in the beginning. And, and, um, I think he made some mistakes on how he maybe, um, dealt with people, um, that were key. And so when, you know, when the fall comes, not that there wasn't some NCAA stuff there too, but there's not as many people there to catch you then. Mm -hmm. Um, there was somebody that we all know that he, you know, he didn't want to go speak at the Rotary Club, and that was not a good decision on his part. So. Yeah, I think that was here in Lexington. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. You you end up going with Guy Mo for a year and a half, and then that got caught up in in everything else that happened with Larry Ivy eventually leaving, and uh, then Mitch Barnhart comes along and hires Rich Brooks. You probably had a longer relationship because of how long he was yeah. here. Than anybody else. Tell me a little bit about Rich Brooks and your relationship. Well, I mean, you know, I, it was just being around him and stuff like that. I mean, the thing, the thing for Rich is he wasn't, you know, he was uh, kind of, I guess, the NFL mentality, business, you know, and coaching football team. I, I mean, I'll be honest with you when the, when they made the hire, just like probably a lot of other fans out there, you know, you everybody's looking for that sexy hire or whatever. That's like. Um, you know, who's this guy? He's been out of coaching and, you know, not really familiar with what he had done at Oregon. But at the end of the day, um, and as he got closer, um, I have a ton of respect for that man. Stayed the course. Never never changed the way he did anything. Um, hated to see him go. Um, uh, at the end of the day, um, like I say, I, uh, I mean – he was the he was the 
the right guy at that time um, that needed to get Kentucky through some of the stuff there that they were cr- trying to come through. And um, uh, you know, if if he, I wish he'd have stayed longer. I really do. Yeah, you know, I often wonder if the SEC network had come along five years earlier because he kept wanting improvements made to facilities. Right. They did not have the money. Right. And it, it sort of appeared to me like that last two years, finally he just said, it's not going to happen. Right. And we've seen him live his life since he left here. And if anybody has ever had a Rolls Royce retirement, I mean, he's flying somewhere every day. Yeah. Either fishing, golfing, golfing yeah. or going to some board meeting. Yeah. But uh, he was followed by Joker Phillips, and then after Joker, along comes Mark Stoops. And now they've got all these facilities. They're hiring left and right. They're giving raises. You you almost have to think that if Rich Brooks had had that, he wouldn't have just went to four straight roads at the end of his career. He would have really had it rolling. Well, I mean, I you know I thought he had a great staff. Um, you know, he he uh, he developed players. Um, you know, he knew how to run a program. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, I I hated to see him go. A lot of respect to that man. I mean, he's he 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 was like I say, the right guy at the right time, and 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 put it on solid footing. Um, you know, to where it was when he took over. Had a lot of disappointments in football mm-hmm. over the Kentucky history, but. Perhaps none, no more disappointing than with Joker Phillips, who's a player, a person I like, I love, and it, it just didn't happen. Yeah, I mean that would that would kind of go into the Bill Curry thing, and that of course again Bill Curry got seven years because it was a different time then. But Joker was a really good guy too. Uh, do whatever you wanted him to do. Real easy to work with. Good with the media. You know, on the rights holder side, whenever we needed him to do, he was great. It just, you know, for whatever reason, it just didn't happen. And, um, um, you know, I, I don't really know, you know, what, what the, you know, to pinpoint exactly what led to that. But, um, you know, in today's day and time, and he had three years, and he just, you know, the, the trajectory of the program was not going in the right direction, and, and uh, unfortunately. You know, Mitch had to make the decision and the right decision to to make a change. I, I don't know what all Mitch know, and I shouldn't know, but it was pretty apparent from early his third year, you saw there was going to be change coming. Yeah, I mean, you know, you think about the Vanderbilt game that year and the number of people that weren't at the game, um, the talent level that where they were at, and and you know, looking on the field and um, seeing where they were talent wise, it's just. You know, it was, it was. There was no other way to say it, but it was spiraling. And um, you know, he, he he had to make a change. He goes to Florida State, picks up a guy named Mark Stoops. You go through the years, and 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 because nobody's ever sustained it over a long period of time, going, I guess back to at least Jerry Claiborne, and and there's some question there how high it got, but you know, one, two, three, four, five. Years and, uh, but if you step back and look at the broad picture from another place, you see two wins, five wins, five wins, seven wins, seven wins, and even before you get to this year, if you're looking at objectively, guys, he's given, he's been given time 
but he is improving baby steps each year. And then, yeah. boom, a 9-3 season. Yeah, the interesting thing that gets me about that is that still people find things to complain about even at 9-3. and three. And in my lifetime, uh, you know, he could – in the bowl game, they could win 10 games. And I don't know, oh, as far as I know, at least in my lifetime, that's happened one time uh, when they went 10-1 and one in 77. And, and they I, were on probation. And that didn't even count. So, um, I guess it counts. But they were, like you say, they were on probation. So, uh, I mean, yeah. I, I think it probably, for the, for the microwave society that we have, that they would have liked for it to happen faster. But – the other side of that is I think it's probably been uh, been built on more solid footing and that will help them continue that success than just a flash in the pan nine and three and we'll throw in a three and nine next year. I think I think that, you know, that's not gonna you know, I, I think it's been built, you know, uh, you know, on a solid foundation and they can sustain that now. Our thanks to Mike Dotson for taking time out of his schedule to join us on this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. We've got more with Mike Dotson coming up in episode 90 of Conversations, and there are a few guests of Oscars that Mike worked with, and we were fortunate enough to have them on Conversations. Take a listen to episode 5 with Jim Host and episode 19 and 20 with Brooks Downing. Those episodes and more can be found at oscarcombs.com. And for your mobile devices, search for at Wildcat News in iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher to subscribe. Each episode will be automatically downloaded to your mobile devices as they are released. For the Big O on Twitter, follow him at Wildcat News. I'm Bill Robinson, and thanks for listening to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. And as always, go Big Blue.